When you think of Seventh-day Adventists, you probably think of yet another Christian denomination who happened to meet on Saturdays and don't drink coffee. But is it more than that? Did you know they were born out of a group with a prophetess who had over 2,000 visions? Did you know they don't believe in a soul? And they teach that forgiveness doesn't necessarily get you to heaven, which, as it turns out, is just through Orion's belt? Hmm. Seems like there's more to this group than just worshiping on the seventh day. We're going to be talking all things Seventh-day Adventist on today's episode of Theology On Air. Well, welcome back to Theology on Air. Theology on Air, of course, is an offshoot of Theology on Tap, which is a ministry to young adults in Houston where we drink craft beer and we talk about faith and culture and all kinds of nerdy things. And then we get to go even deeper here in the podcast. Um, If you live in the Houston area and you're interested in coming to one of our live events, you can check out everything you need to know at HoustonTOT.com. And if you want to give us large swaths of money now that we're a nonprofit, <laughs> you can go to our give page on that same website and uh, and support us there. But for today, we are going to be continuing our series on fringe groups and fringe beliefs um, with a couple of guests who came out of Seventh-day Adventism. Uh, but first, I'm Sarah Stone. I am the executive director for Theology on Tap, and I'm joined by Evan McClanahan, the senior pastor at First Lutheran in Midtown, Houston. And uh, we're excited today to have both of our guests are former Seventh-day Adventists. Um, You know, we're going to have to think of a shorter way to say that. Adventists, SDA, you guys can tell me, Mm -hmm. but uh, we've got Colleen Tinker. She's the editor of Proclamation Magazine and co-host of Former Adventist Podcast, Mm -hmm. both produced by Life Assurance Ministries. The ministry's purpose is to proclaim the good news of the new covenant gospel of grace in Christ and to combat the errors of legalism and false religion. And then we've got Nikki Stevenson, who left Adventism in 2010 with her husband and two children. She's a writer for Proclamation Magazine and the co-host of Former Adventist Podcast. So ladies, welcome so much to our show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for, Thanks having, for us. having us. Yeah, I'm excited. I was um, saying before we started recording that um, growing up, we our church actually met in a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I just thought they were a little bit wonky. They were um, they met on Saturdays. They didn't let us drink coffee in the building, and um, that's kind of all I really... Oh, and later in life, I learned they were annihilationists, which is oh, yeah. not so weird these days. There's plenty of Christians now that are kind of exploring that, but that was all I really thought was different until I heard you guys on a podcast and realized, oh man, there's a lot more <laughs> to this whole story than I had ever yeah. realized. So um, before we climb into all of like what they believe and who they are and where they came from, I would love just to hear a little bit of each of your own stories. How did you get involved with Seventh-day Adventists and how did you come out of it? And then we'll, we'll climb into all of their beliefs. Who wants to start us off? Maybe Colleen? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was born into Adventism. <clears throat> um it matters within Adventism that I was third generation. Oh, it's <laughs> if you're like fourth, Mormon. fifth, they or sixth. Yes, yes, yeah. very much. So I was a third generation Adventist. I was raised and educated in their schools from, you know, the beginning clear through college. And I graduated with a music degree, actually, from Walla Walla nice. College in Washington. So um, it was interesting because I, I married my husband, who was also a, well, I think he was actually a fourth generation Adventist. Ooh. Yeah. And Loyalty. Um, we spent our, for the first part of our 
you know, working life, working for Adventists. And we actually developed a publishing business, the two of us, and our clients were almost exclusively Adventist. But in the meantime, we had experience in a independent Adventist uh, radio and TV publication ministry. Um, Richard actually ended up working at the School of Dentistry in Loma Linda, California, at Loma Linda University. And he was the head of a uh, educational support department where he created visual things for the dentists and for their professional displays. Mm -hmm. So um, it was in the mid 90s when we started saying we've got to figure this out there's just so much cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. and it was interesting because he was working at a university obviously at Loma Linda where he had access to the very early internet which you know most of us didn't have access to at home yet Um, so he would come home in the mid 90s with documents he had found online during his downtimes, sometimes staying a little late to find them. And there were documents about Adventism, about the early stuff about Ellen White, different things people had published. And he'd say, with his sheaf of papers, you have to read this. You guys so, are like spies. Well, it, it was, it did sort of feel that way at the beginning. So we were reading all this stuff. In meantime, we were actually having weekly Bible studies with our neighbors who were Christians. We had moved to a new home in a in a different part of the city we lived in, and they were Christians. And Richard said, would you like to have Bible studies with us? He's thinking, oh, they'll make great Adventists. And, <laughs> and they're thinking so, they'll make great Christians. <laughs> so for three years, we met once a week and did something we had never learned to do in Adventism, and that was we were reading through whole books of the New Testament in context, beginning with chapter one and reading through to the end. And every week we would discuss a chapter. And what was so fascinating, at the same time, you know, we're reading these documents Richard's bringing home. So at this, we're finding out that all of our proof texts, and you know, Adventists will say they believe just the Bible, just right. the Bible. Oh, let's go and they have texts for everything. But those texts are yanked out of context, and we didn't know how significant that was. So we're reading mm-hmm. through, you know, books like Colossians and Ephesians and help us all Galatians, <laughs> and we're finding proof texts or things that we'd never seen in our proof text, but those proof texts don't say the same thing in context right, right. that they said in the proof text. Huh. So um, I remember the day Richard, it was, you know, we'd been doing this for over a year, maybe. And one morning, we met on Tuesday nights with the neighbors. And one Wednesday morning, Richard looked at me and says, Do you feel like you've become a Christian for the first time? Wow. And I said, You know what, I do. This is just amazing. And I remember thinking, oh. I don't have anxiety anymore. I'm not like worrying about the future and worrying that my past is going to condemn my future. And I'm I'm not spending my present trying to figure out how to manipulate the future. So I'm okay. I'm actually experiencing today. And I thought, the Lord has given me the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit oh I have gosh. today. That's like cool. Hebrews 4, <laughs> I have today. So that was a really big deal. And we actually came out together in 1998 and we wrote our letter of resignation to the Adventists. And it was, it's, it's been a whole different meaning of coming out, but that's interesting. For us, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a nutshell. No, that's Mm -hmm. a, that's a beautiful nutshell. Um, Nikki, what about you? Well, uh, I have you beat. (laughs) So I was a third generation Adventist on my father's side, but fifth on my mother's. Okay. Uh, that averages out to a four. Does it work like that? I don't know. Maybe, except the fifth generation goes like 
they they started the Adventist Church in Maine. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I grew up in a broken home. So I lived with my mom on the East Coast, and my dad was on the West. And so I experienced Adventism on the East Coast and on the West Coast, and that's a very different kind of Adventism. You know, as you talk to Adventists, you're going to hear, well, yeah, there are groups like that, but we're not like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I had pieces of all different kinds of manifestations of Adventism, but believed the same thing across the board. Yeah. Um, my husband, he came out of, I think he was a third generation Adventist from a family of pastors. His parents were very, very conservative Adventist. Uh, his mother believed that if she put butter on the table, the Lord would not answer her prayers because Ellen White says that. Um, We're going to get to who Ellen White is later. Both of you have mentioned yes. her name. So if you're listening, oh, just tag right. that name and we're going to come back to it. Yeah. So he no had butter. a very... This is, I already know I can never yeah, be an no butter. I love butter. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention the bacon. Oh, yeah. They That's lied to us about the bacon. <laughs> My first Easter ham was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but... Um, so I had one experience in Adventism. My husband had a very different one. And um, after we got married, we kind of would argue a little bit about what was important to, to practice and what wasn't. And we just had conflict between us. And it, it came about that after I had my son, I learned that my mother-in-law, this really faithful pastor's wife, uh, Adventist pastor's wife, was questioning Adventism and I didn't know this. We were on a walk one day and I said, you know, we really want to know what we're going to teach our kids where I want to read it all in the Bible. I want to know what I believe because you just, you just take it, you know, like mm -hmm. the sky is blue and Adventism is true and you can't necessarily defend it unless you push into it. So I was going to push into it. And I said, where's all the pre-creation history stuff, the war in heaven and Satan being mad at God. And she says, it's not in the Bible. She said, it isn't there. Mm. And it just kind of ended the conversation. And then it wasn't long before that, actually, that she had given me one of Dale Ratzlaff's books, Truth Led Me Out, that I had tucked in a drawer and ignored for years. Dale Ratzlaff, by the way, is a former Adventist pastor who founded Life Assurance Ministries. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I read the book and... We just, I don't even know that it's so hard to, it's so hard to summarize because it's, <laughs> God works over time in our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, it came about that my husband was ready to leave and I wasn't because I couldn't give up the Sabbath. I was mm. terrified of giving up the Sabbath because that's what- And we'll what, talk later about why that was terrifying to you. Okay. Yeah. So I decided to wake up one Sabbath morning and read my Bible. We believed that God is more present on Sabbath. And I prayed, if you're more present today than any other day, I really need you to show me what I need to read. And I flipped my Bible open and it opened up to the first page of Galatians. And I remember feeling frustrated. At what is Galatians? And I read it all the way through. By the time I got to the end, I was crying. My husband came mm. in and I said, Carl, they lied to us. Oh my gosh. And he said, do you want to go to church tomorrow, which is Sunday, which is a big deal. Yeah. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And we had no idea that Life Assurance Ministries existed. <laughs> they don't talk to, they know we exist, but Adventists they don't, know yeah, we, yeah, but they don't talk to Adventists about it. They don't want to direct attention to it. Well, when I found out that Life Assurance Ministries not only existed, but went to church down the street from my house, 
it it was just it was absolutely amazing and we ended up kind of getting folded into their ministry and unpacking all of this wow wow these are such amazing stories um so you had never read galatians that way before like fully through as its own letter <laughs> so that's the crazy thing somewhere like ah that's the intention like, <laughs> that's why i know. wrote it that, but that's the crazy thing i had i actually was a student at la sierra university and i was in their new testament uh master's new testament program and mm. one of the courses that i had to take just before entering that program was an introduction to new testament studies and we had to read every letter in the new testament i don't believe we read revelation but we read the rest of them and so i read through it and i remember one day my adventist professor asked everybody what was your favorite book and <laughs> i said galatians i was thinking ephesians i didn't know I had confused okay. their names, but I said Galatians and she just looked at me for a minute. She said, that's really interesting. And then she just kept going. I thought, why is that interesting? And got in there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's not what I meant. But now yeah. looking back on that, I can understand why that was a little startling to her that that would be an Adventist's favorite book because it, <laughs> it presents yeah, a lot yeah, of trouble for them. Just for a second. Why, why would oh. that be? Is it because it's talking about people trying to like the whole Judaizing thing? What is it about? Galatians that the Adventists wouldn't maybe want you to love. <laughs> it very directly says that we are not justified by works of the law. Okay. And that if you go back to it, you're going back to the elemental principles. It's like, since Jesus has fulfilled it, you're going back to the equivalent of paganism in the context. He's mm -hmm. saying that to the Galatians who had been pagans. He says, why are you going back? Right. Yeah, those elemental things talks about the law being a tutor to lead us to Christ. But now that Christ has come, we're no longer under a tutor. It talked about uh, Sarah and, and Hagar, and, Hagar yeah. and to cast off the slave woman. And I'm reading this going, this doesn't work in Adventism. Okay. This and they know this. They they have seminaries. They've read this before. Oh, yes, they <laughs> know the languages. <laughs> mm. OK, yeah. well, I want to I want to dive all into the theology of everything, but let's Let's just go way back here for a second and establish the roots of this whole thing. And I know that you guys could talk about this for hours. We're going to try to tuck it into just a little segment of our conversation. Sure. But um, you've both mentioned someone named Ellen White. Ellen White is sort of the sort of next generation down from whatever the Millerites were. Walk us through who are the Millerites? What year are we talking? How, what was bubbling up that made Adventism be able to even be sort of born? Give us a little bit of history. Mm -hmm. Well, William Miller began preaching um, in the mid-1800s. Uh, do you remember the exact year he began? Um, he was born 1844 in, is a big date. 1844 was the year he said Jesus would come back. Oh, that is a big date then, yeah. He began yeah. preaching about 1840. So he'd been okay. preaching. He first of all set a date for 1843, which is important for us because Ellen White actually endorsed that date. And then William Miller changed when Jesus didn't come back and said, whoops, got it wrong. It's 1844. So um, 1844 became the date Jesus was supposed to come back. And when he didn't, most of the Millerites who had followed him up there in New England, where things were strange and charismatic anyway. Yeah, um, a lot, most a lot of the people. Moment. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. yes. So most of the people who had followed him either repented and went back to their churches or 
just went off into nothingness. But there Mm. was a small group of people who couldn't admit they were wrong. And that was the early Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists. Now, it's important that there are a lot of churches that actually came out, well, I should say movements, that actually came out of the Millerite movement Uh and formed little, they coalesced into different organizations. Seventh-day Adventism is the largest Seventh-day Sabbath group of Adventists Uh that coalesced. The Jehovah's Witnesses are the largest Sunday keeping group that coalesced out of those Millerites. Okay. Okay. So, so they have common roots. Yeah. And there's a lot of other little strange groups that are in that group. There sure are. It's not at all connected with the whole Branhamite thing, is it? Is that also part of, I feel like there were several cult-like things that were all brewing in the same cauldron. I've heard of him. I, he wasn't necessarily part of Millerism. Okay. I'm not aware of his being a significant influence, although I've read about him. That's fine. We'll cover but him. He in wasn't another part podcast. of Adventism's history. Okay. So <clears throat> the primary so Ellen people. White, tell us about, oh, sorry. What were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say the primary people that came out of the Millerite movement that coalesced into Adventism were three major people. Yeah. That was James White, Joseph Bates, and then Ellen White, Ellen White, Ellen Harmon at the time. And James White married Ellen Harmon after he discovered that she was very conveniently having a lot of visions. Yeah, her visions are very convenient. I mean, not for our dietary preferences, but otherwise, yes. (laughs) So it was an interesting group. James White and Joseph Bates came out of the Christian Connection, which were anti-Trinitarian. And Joseph Bates was an older man, a, a retired sea captain. He had the money, and he actually funded a lot of the organizational developments of this early Seventh-day Adventist group. James White was really entrepreneurial, and actually, Ellen White, and he traveled, and he managed, kind of would do presentations, and she would have visions, and he sort of directed them, and uh-huh. then decided that he really better marry her. Her mother actually said they really needed to marry because it didn't look good for them to travel around the country without being married. So, you know, that was kind of the backstory. Ellen White became the visionary imprimatur of all of the doctrinal things that these men developed. And they had a whole group of people that kind of coalesced around them. You might have more to add. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Israel, is it Damon trial? Damon, Damon. Damon trial. Um, So right before... James and Ellen were married, there was this trial that that they were a part of because there were these really exciting meetings that were coming together in a house. It was kind of a part of the, was it connected to the Methodist fanaticism that was going on at well, the time? Well, it was probably connected, but certainly the whites were involved. And there was some inappropriate behavior going on and this went to trial and their names are actually mentioned as having been there. Women would go into trances, they would they would share visions, they'd go in back rooms with unmarried men. And so this all went to trial. Well, a year later, she and James ended up married, hmm. which I find interesting, an interesting detail. So it actually ex- it, it mm-hmm. actually explains a lot of the deeply embedded, hard to understand unless you're part of it, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. legacy of mm-hmm. scandal that survives mm-hmm. under the surface of Adventism. Yeah. And one other point that I think is worth mentioning is that after after the failed date setting, Ellen White had a vision 
that the people who were a part of that who repented for setting dates had fallen. They were not saved. Yeah. They'd fallen from grace. And it was the ones who understood that actually the chart was correct. They just understood it incorrectly. There was one error on the chart, but God himself put his hand over that error because he didn't want them to see it. And so now they were going to correct this misinterpretation of this very accurate prediction. And <laughs> anyone it. who didn't follow along was no longer saved. So tell us a little bit now, Ellen White was having these visions and writing, like there's a ton of her writing. I read somewhere that it's like the most translated female author they, to date. That's what they say. Crazy like that. That's anyway, what they claim. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the claim. And then m much of it's maybe plagiarized, but a conversation uh -huh. for another day. Tell yeah. us just a little bit about, she would travel, she would talk to people. There's stuff in there about your diet, about education, about like home life. And then of course, about all of the theological stuff, maybe give us just like, I don't know, two or three of the biggest sort of like what came out of those visions and those writings that Adventists to this day were like, oh yeah, well, Ellen White says blah, blah, blah. Like maybe the butter thing. I don't know. Give us a few of those nuggets. The really big thing that came out of all of this, I mean, there were many, the really big thing was the great controversy vision, the great, great controversy, controversy vision. Mm -hmm. Okay. The great controversy vision supposedly lasted four hours and the Lord gave it to her in the middle of a funeral, which she conscripted by standing up and going glory, 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 and proceeded to recount this vision and completely usurp the funeral. That poor family of whoever I know, right? Was, like, could you not find another time to have your vision? <laughs> okay. But the great controversy vision is what establishes the Adventist worldview. And I want to make it really clear at this point that Adventists will always disagree with each other. I mean, who, if you talk to Adventists, like where we live in Southern California, they're very progressive, they're theologically liberal, and they, well, they don't believe it that way, they don't really believe that. And then you go right. to Michigan, where the seminary is, and they're very historic Adventists, but they all have the same worldview, and that's what they fail to tell people on mm -hmm. the outside. Mm -hmm. The worldview comes from the Great Controversy vision. Okay. And primary in this worldview are the and, and Nikki's going to talk a little more about the vision too, but primary among this, among the things that define the worldview are physicalism, that humans okay. do not have immaterial spirits, and that affects what they believe about sin, uh -huh. about salvation, about mm -hmm. the nature of Christ, and they believe that Sabbath is, mm -hmm, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the nature of and they also it they also have as part of their worldview that ellen white was in some way important some will say oh she wasn't a prophet some will say she was just a devotional writer some will say she gave prophetic guidance at a time the movement needed help you know to every adventist she has some degree of importance even if it's just the eccentric old aunt that comes out at christmas you know yeah. and we don't talk about her but she's there and yeah. the other thing is that Sabbath is eternal and we will keep it in heaven with God for eternity. That is the mark. Huh. So you were going to say some more about the great controversy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people will say, especially young people after the Desmond Ford fiasco and the Walter Martin situation, Adventists and, kind and of tried no one to listening really knows what you're talking about. So I don't know if you want to unpack that or if we want to maybe get into it later. Okay. Um, 
Um, well, just to summarize that there were some primary Adventist doctrines that came under fire. They were being disproven by Adventist pastors who were seeing right. in scripture that they didn't work. And so they ended up, it was kind of a whole scandalous thing that happened in Adventism. The past, Around 1980. Okay. And, and the pastors who were presenting this to the Adventists were getting fired and let go and sent away. So this is where Walter Martin steps in and he's like, what's going on? You guys wrote questions on doctrine. You said you believe a lot of these things that we believe. It was on that basis that I kind of cleared your name. And let, now let you're me firing. interrupt you really quickly because I don't even think a lot of our audience knows who Walter Martin is. He is the author that wrote a continuing compilation uh, called The Kingdom of the Cults, yeah. where he yeah. explored different cults and kind of exposed the wonky theology they're in. But Seventh-day Adventism sort of, I don't know, skated past it because of what you're talking about. Right. So when people look it up to say, well, is it a cult in one of his earlier renditions of the book, they'll see, oh, no, they're actually it's okay. It's an appendix kind of as a about. heterodox group. And I believe yeah. it's still in the appendix as a heterodox Christian church. Yeah. And, and interestingly, Christianity as a whole didn't have any questions as to whether or not Adventism was a part of Christianity. They saw that they were way off. Um, Lewis Talbot wrote a series of articles in response to Walter Martin's conclusion about Adventism because he knew very well that they were very off and that Walter Martin mm. had been deceived. Aww. So it wasn't until this happened that people began to go, oh, okay, well, maybe they're, they're a little off, but they're mm -hmm. in line. So okay. Sorry, I want to, I'm trying to remember where no, I left and I'm off. I'm sorry that I interrupted you. No, it's okay. That was important. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but because of this whole public situation, Adventist leaders begin to soften their language. Things started to sound a little bit more like mainstream Christianity. So people who came after that, my generation and, and younger, we started to hear a more ecumenical kind of gospel and message, but it was still tucked into this great controversy worldview, which is why this is such an important thing to be aware of about Ellen, because people will say, well, we don't believe this about Ellen. I don't read Ellen. But they don't understand all of their all of their concept of God, of sin, of how all of this started, pre-creation history, who was Jesus. All of it comes from a vision that she had and that they wow. anchored all their doctrines to. Yeah, they will deny that. Really helpful distinction. <laughs> Yeah, they'll deny that if you if you confront them with that idea. But the fact is that is where it comes from. And and I think that if Christians want to know what they need to know in talking with an Adventist, they need to know that they will use all the same words they use, but they have different definitions and their worldview is different. Yeah. So so the the most effective way to figure out what an Adventist really believes is to sit please sit like we did with our neighbors and read through just offer to study the Bible with them. Because yeah. I guarantee you, I, I can't tell you how often we hear Christians say, well, my neighbor is an Adventist and she loves the Lord. She yeah. loves Jesus. And oh. I, and I want to say, have you actually sat and read the Bible with her? Who is the Jesus that she loves? Oh, wow. Yeah. Can she know she is saved? What does it require to be saved? And yeah. they might even say, oh, it's all by grace. It's all by grace. Yeah. But if you ask, would you lose your salvation or your chance for salvation if you gave up the Sabbath? Now that might bring a different answer. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. I know you wanted to say that. Well, no, I just want to. Hey guys. 
Sarah here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast. I know it was awesome, but I just wanted to tell you that Theology on Tap is growing. We are now a standalone ministry, an independent nonprofit, and to grow, we need your help. We're offering more live events, more follow-up opportunities to reach the unchurched, and increased partnerships with local churches. You can help us grow by praying for us, by telling your friends or church about us, and of course, partnering with us financially. To donate, go to houstontot.com forward slash give. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. Go back to to the 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 seventh day aspect of it, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that is one of the main arguments, and it seems like we, I don't know if that was settled early on and we kind of moved past it, like it chronologically. I have it here. in the list, but oh, was, okay. no, you're fine. Let, okay. Do you want to go ahead and tackle so, that now? Yeah, maybe what are the arguments for the seventh day Adventism or seventh day Sabbath observance rather than Sunday and... And and is that is that the, kind of the issue with Galatians? Because it you know I, I absolutely might argue that it's part of the, the the ceremonial aspect of the law. I mean, we just had an event mm-hmm. two nights ago where we we're talking about whether the law of God still applies to the Christian. And I was making a more nuanced argument. I mean, I said in a way yes, but in a way no. But you know, and Galatians came up a lot. And and anyway, without rehashing the whole thing, it's <laughs> my argument is that Galatians is largely about ceremonial aspects of the law, that Paul still held to the law, you know, of God as good and salutary, but there are aspects of law that have been done away with, and to require a Christian to follow it would be a would be Step legalism backwards. and w- would yeah. be a real problem. So you, there are those distinctions. But I would say the Sabbath is definitely one of those aspects of Old Testament law that has been fulfilled. I mean, in the New Testament, they call it the Lord's Day, which is a re- reference to Sunday. Anyway, but talk about the, that that kind of debate about around which day ought Christians ought to observe. It's actually very significant and central to Adventism. And here's the, the way that we have learned to talk about it with people coming out of Adventism. This is how I began to understand the issue. Adventists will argue that because the fourth commandment is in the center of the Decalogue, it is a moral law, not a ceremonial law. They will say all the other Sabbaths are ceremonial, Passover, Pentecost, and all of the others, but the Sabbath is moral, and it is eternal, and they make the case that the Ten Commandments are eternal, and they are the actual representation of the character of God. They are the transcript, they say, of God's character. So they teach their members that the Ten are eternal and the Sabbath is at the heart. And what we actually learned as we understood the covenants, and Galatians has been a huge help, it is like a key book for people grappling with this out of Adventism, is that the Mosaic covenant was, the law is a unit, and Jesus fulfilled the law. Now, when he came and did his sermon on the mountain, said, you've heard it said, Mm -hmm. you shall not commit adultery, but I say, if you even lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already, Mm -hmm. that he is not he he is not <clears throat> abolishing the law but he is establishing himself as the lawgiver mm-hmm. he's basically establishing the new covenant law of christ he's saying this is my teaching it's in your heart so when we understood that jesus had actually fulfilled all the terms of the old covenant <clears throat> and that if we trust his finished work and see what we were not taught as adventists was that I'm sorry, this is so complicated, but it is complicated in Adventism. When we understood, and we weren't taught in Adventism, that the heart of that covenant was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. You break the law, you die. Mm-hmm. That Jesus actually fulfilled the heart of the law. He, he lived a perfect sinless life so that he did keep the law as a 
perfect Israelite, but then he was able to be the spotless lamb of God because he actually kept that death sentence and took our imputed sin. Now, that was not taught to us. Okay. Oh, they said Jesus died for our sins. You were you know, I want to get to the whole forgiveness and atonement and investigative but, judgment and all that stuff in a minute. Yeah, but, yeah. But, the, but, the, but the way we now talk about it to people leaving Adventism is that day was not a moral law any more than was Pentecost, any more than was Passover. For Israel, all of them were moral. They were God's law. And for us now, Jesus has fulfilled all of those shadows, as Hebrews is so clear about. And when we trust him, we receive his personal righteousness and we are credited with his perfect law keeping. So when we're in him, the new covenant, and this was the big key for me, the new covenant is kept between the father and the son. And when we're in him, mm. we are members of the new covenant in Christ, mm. in his blood. And we thought that we had to keep the, all the law, all the new covenant requirements with God the Father in order to be part of that new covenant. We didn't understand that in Christ, it's ours in him. It's right. his own righteousness. So that's how we dealt with the Sabbath. And wow. and I would say that, really that every kind of generation of Adventism will have a different response to what all of that keeping God's law and being perfect means. Yeah. Probably the younger ones will say, no, no, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to keep God's law because like I said, they, they really Christianize kind of the language, but you have to ask questions that will expose their logical fallacies mm -hmm. um, in order for them to understand that actually, foundationally, they do. As far as where did the Sabbath thing come from, that's a part of her great controversy worldview. She believed that the law was eternal in both directions. So the law, the Ten Commandments, is what Adventists mean when they say the law. Yeah, the important. Ten Commandments existed in eternity past in heaven, and Satan accused God of being unfair because you can't keep the Ten Commandments. So wait, wait, say that again. Satan accused God of being unfair. Yes. Oh, because it's, you, no one can actually live up to it. Because okay. no one can live up to it. So okay. there's a war in heaven. Satan was actually jealous of Jesus because he had been elevated to sonship in heaven. And that, as in he wasn't a son to begin with. <laughs> right. Okay. So and and Ellen White has a lot of detail about the thoughts and intentions and plans and motivations of Satan. She mentions him over forty three thousand times, I think, on the LNG writings website. Um I actually Way have that number here somewhere. I could look for it. But um so Sabbath is very much a part of that. Now it wasn't at first. Ellen White she went to church on Sunday. Sabbath didn't matter to her. But at some point along the way, very, very early on, they met this Joseph Bates that Colleen mentioned, and he believed that the Sabbath was important. And so he agreed to support their views if she would support his. She went home, had a vision. Oh, she was that taken. Is so convenient. <laughs> yeah, that that's how those. That's how a lot of actually um a lot of their doctrines came about. So she was taken off to heaven through Orion's belt. Oh, here we go. I love this yeah. part. That's where, did you know, Evan, that's where heaven is? You can yeah. actually see it with a really good telescope because it's right through Orion's belt. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, and and the there's morning. movement and color and things are changing. There's actually a really interesting like 3D video that Doug Batchelor of Amazing Facts put together where you can fly through space into Orion's belt and enter heaven. Which, but, is, which is a pyramid, by the way. So, oh it's so like Illuminati or something. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Really? That's another podcast. But okay. um, so 
the angel or Jesus, I don't know who took her there, showed her the Ten Commandments. There was a halo around the Fourth Commandment. And now oh. the Adventists have the remnant message to Protestant Christianity to tell them, hey, you've been deceived by the Pope. Yeah. You're going to church on Sunday because the Pope did. Yeah. We have the truth. If you want to worship the true God who created, you have to worship his Sabbath that commemorates his creation. Okay. And so that's one of the big tasks of Adventism is to convince Christians to keep the seventh day Sabbath so they don't receive the mark of the beast from the papal Woo! Antichrist. Wow. And really come out of Babylon. From come out of her my people come out of her my people come out of babylon that's come out of sunday keeping yeah that's oh leave the Sorry. leave babylon and the daughters of the whore of babylon which is all you sunday church yeah. christians leave them come to us we are the remnant and this is the mark this is the seal of god the sabbath huh. is the seal of god and this is the anchor that keeps people in because we are raised believing being taught practicing for last day events when mm -hmm. Christians would be given authority by the government to hunt and kill Sabbath keepers. <gasps> and yes. your loyalty to God was based on your loyalty to the Sabbath. And so kids are taught in Pathfinders, which is kind of like Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. Except they're, as co-ed. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> taught what they can eat in the woods. They have practice events at their summer camps. But they're like preppers, they're, they're mm -hmm. ready. They are. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 So I, I'm skipping way ahead and I want to go sure. back in a second, but because you were talking about the whole Sunday thing, is this what Sunday law is? Tell us what Sunday law is. Well, Sunday law, according to Ellen White, is happens at the end times, which, and it will usher in the time of trouble, which most Christians consider the tribulation. Yeah. And it will be, first of all, a national law in the United States that will decree that Sunday must be kept holy. Okay that people must worship on Sunday, and then it will expand into an international law. And the Antichrist, of course, will kind of preside over all of this. And that is when Adventists mm -hmm. will be fleeing to the hills to preserve themselves. Got it. Got it. And because we will people, be hunting them. Because yeah, people will be so hunting strong. them. The people who have left the Sabbath, who once kept it, will be the worst and most dangerous hunters oh, it's of always all. that way. It's that way and in Mormonism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when we left Adventism, Richard's mom, who was a very devout, but very bright woman, she's a very devout Adventist. She actually said to him, are you going to kill me now? And she was serious. Oh, oh, that's so it was sad. sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And she never got over that. She died believing we were. But not at your hands, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. But they did move halfway across the continent to get away from us after, just after, you know, the turn oh, of the my century. Gosh, Colleen. They really Wowie. did fear us. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so incredibly sad. Okay. I, I want to go back um, so that we can go forward. And what I want to do is just kind of knock out some of the, you mentioned some of the, um, the theology that comes out of this worldview that happened because of this vision, by the way, I've decided that when I'm in an uncomfortable position or, you know, situation, I'm just going to stand up and start saying, what was it? Glory, glory. And, <laughs> vision. and no one that's can it. come for me. You know, like if I'm on a bad date, I'll be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, you'd end that oh, one fast. <laughs> and I've always said I'd be a great cult leader. So I've anyway, let me stop. Let me stop. Okay. I want to go back to this this pre-creation war situation. Who who is Jesus to them? He used to be an archangel. That's a good question. But now he's well, they still say he's Michael the Archangel. Oh, boy. but they get That's around it by saying, 
Well, yes, but they actually say, oh, no, 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 he's not an angel. It's just another name for Jesus. But they make him, they, they insist he's Michael because this is more of this convoluted internal thinking because Jude 9. Okay. Where Moses, where Michael the archangel contests with the devil over the body of Moses. Okay. And they say that that is Jesus because Adventists make that text, Ellen White made that text, Jude 9, a text that says Moses was resurrected. Now, do you oh. see resurrection in there at all? No, but they have to have him resurrected because he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Adventists can't have somebody coming back from death unless they're resurrected oh, because but they Elijah are annihilated. Problem. Elijah went to heaven without dying. Without dying, right, okay. So they have to find a way to get Moses back on earth legitimately. Uh -huh. So they make him resurrected, and so they make Michael the archangel Jesus. Never mind the fact that that verse actually says Michael would not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And Jesus rebuked Satan to his mm -hmm. face in person mm -hmm. when he was on earth. You know, he rebuked him in the desert. He rebuked him when he cast out the demon of the demoniac. He, mm -hmm. Jesus had no problem rebuking Satan, but Michael would not do a railing accusation against him. Oh, okay. Wow. That was a lot. My brain is still sort of churning on it. Is, is the reason they have to do this because of the whole physicalism thing? Yes. I mean, okay. Yes. Okay. So you had mentioned in your introduction that Adventists don't believe in a soul and yeah. they would say that they do. Yes. They okay. would say that a soul is body plus breath. Yes. So okay, that you so that are a living soul and you are a living soul. And, but a baby in the womb isn't until it comes out and breathes. That's that's almost they, a old, sort of a Jewish, some some kind of Jewish understanding of like the breath is life kind of thing. But still, it's um, worse than that because they really believe that there's no identity to, of a person unless they're alive and breathing. Okay, there's no identity that survives the body. So when people die, and I, I I'm jumping all around now, but I'm it's just okay. It's okay. To their logical conclusions, right? So uh, if I were to get in a car accident on the way home and die. They believe the body's dead, and then what? What am I just waiting You're a for? Memory in like, the mind of God. You're a memory in again? the mind of God. A memory in the mind of God. Oh. And if and if you were successfully working on keeping the commandments, if you were successfully trying to serve Jesus, and you'd done your best with the light you had, well, then Jesus will ultimately make up the difference for you beyond okay, what you were able to next, accomplish. But, but then when he came back again, he would create a new body and he would like essentially download his memory of you into that new body. Oh, okay. So he's keeping a lot. He's the cloud. <laughs> Everything's up he's there. The cloud. He's, he's the, the cloud. Okay, and he's then the he's going to, yeah. Okay. And, and it's, it's interesting too, because in Adventism, they have a lot of art of, of the last day when Christ returns, and they have a lot of people climbing out of graves, which is pretty similar to the art you'll get in the Jehovah's Witness group. Right. Okay, not at all creepy. So that's cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I think let's go ahead and climb into forgiveness, atonement, judgment. And, and I think if I understand correctly, Part of her visions about the investigative judgment, you can tell us what that is, has to do with something where like Jesus' death on the cross wasn't quite enough to, to get you home to being saved. Now there's this sort of secondary judgment and parsing out of different words. Walk us through how forgiveness and salvation works in this understanding. 
Well, it is something that confuses almost every Adventist. (laughs) So the actual way the investigative judgment was taught, and this was actually part of her great controversy vision. It's the only unique doctrine of Adventism, by the way. Okay. So it's essential. Even though it's embarrassing, and even though their theologians know it's not in the Bible. Hmm. But this is this is this is the scenario. Um, when Jesus died, he provided blood to cover sin. So when a person comes and accepts Jesus, and for them that does not mean being brought from death to life spiritually, it okay. means like a mental assent to believe this stuff and to repentance for an Adventist is turning your back on your old life and walking forward into your new understanding. Okay. Okay. So when you accept Jesus, his blood um, essentially forgives your past sins. And then from then on, you have to keep confessing every time you sin, or those future sins can keep you out of heaven. Are you confessing to God, or are you confessing to a person? God. God. Okay. And you have to remember them all. I mean, Ellen actually said, no, this is kind of one of those teachings that gets buried because it's impossible. But she actually said, if you even forget a sin, that sin will keep you out of heaven. You have to literally, specifically confess every sin. I used to lie awake as a teenager, oh. fearing I had forgotten a sin. I, I would lie awake, unable to sleep. I can remember, you know, 2.30 in the morning going, oh, Lord, have I forgotten a sin? Well, think about anyone that's ever had a head injury or dementia. They're totally. gone, I guess. Yes. Wow. So, okay. so the blood of Jesus then, according to this doctrine, yeah. carries, basically, um, your sins are recorded in books in heaven. So the blood of oh, Jesus goody. then will <laughs> will will transfer the sin from you when you confess it into heaven. Yes, and this is based on like their the wrong mis- this is misinterpreting <laughs> the old Day of Atonement back in Israel, where they say right. the blood of the sacrificial animal transferred the sins of the people into the sanctuary. No, blood always cleanses. But they actually had it, and Ellen White explained, that the blood would carry this defiling sin into the tabernacle. And then on the Day of Atonement, you know, the high priest would have to take that last sacrifice in there and cleanse the tabernacle from the accumulated sins of the year. So Hmm. that's what Jesus' death will do. So your, your blood, his blood transfers your sin into heaven, where it remains on the books until this investigative judgment is done. And in 1844... Jesus began this investigative judgment where he started going through the records in heaven of everybody who professes Christ, not the unbelievers, the professors of Christ. And then he finds out if they've been confessed or not. Naughty or nice. I mean, that's kind of what exactly. It's very much like Santa Claus. So Mm -hmm. he will, if they're confessed, he will then, he will then apply his blood to that sin and will write pardon beside their name instead of forgiven forgiven i always get that mixed up i forgiven is the first one you forgiven when you confess and it goes up to heaven and then pardon is when he sees that it's all confessed and taken care of he applies the blood and marks pardon so that by the end of the investigative judgment number one you don't know when he's done with your name because nobody tells you today's your day he's going Mm -hmm. through the books (laughs) so you don't know you live your life in like is it now so like your investigative judgment is on a particular day and once that day's done you can just like live the high life and 
go crazy no. from no, then no, then? no, no, oh, just no, kidding. no. No. I mean, it, there's a, yeah, I mean, it's like you have to be on your best behavior every day of your life because you don't know when this is going to end. And it's one of the reasons why when you die, you can't go to heaven because the investigative judgment isn't over yet. And you can't have oh. souls in heaven if, the, if he hasn't finished the investigation. Yeah. So at okay. the end of this whole thing, when this is finally done, Jesus then takes the sins of the saved who've actually had all their sins confessed, and here's how he cleanses heaven from it. He places those sins of the saved on, guess who? Satan the scapegoat. Not Jesus huh. the scapegoat. Satan the scapegoat. Does Satan say Satan, that? Yes. Satan carries their sins out of heaven into the lake of fire, and he is punished for them. Because he, because anytime we sin, it's just because we're neutral and we were deceived into it in Adventism. And yeah. Satan, they say, is the cause of human sin. And well, there's this. And I mean, I joke that Satan is saving you in that sense, but also you're saving you. Jesus yeah. is just basically yeah, yeah. a yeah, yeah. Uh, like investigative reporter detective, yeah. and you're the one doing the actual work. Well, and, and he true. provides he provides the the blood the blood yeah, yeah. and oh, and there's yes, there's blood. this okay. other thing you know when when this war in heaven occurred and this is a part of this there was concern for god's reputation uh -huh. before all of the other planets with watching people who served god there was concern that they would believe god was unfair if he just dealt with satan right away and so instead they were going to let all of this play out on Earth for all the watching universes, which, by the way, Ellen traveled to other planets in vision and saw oh, yeah, the naturally. people. I mean, <laughs> and they told her yeah. that they are happy because they keep God's law. So all of these people are watching to see how this plays out to determine whether or not Satan is right and God is fair or not. So this whole process is going to vindicate God. So when Satan takes all of the sins upon himself and they're thrown into the lake of fire with Satan, now god is justified he's vindicated before all of these watching universes and i mention this because i have heard adventists defend their view of the atonement by saying no no the atonement happened on the cross we believe it happened on the cross you know jesus said it is finished but here's the thing ellen white said jesus said it is finished but she wrote in the desire of ages one of her books on page 736 and 734 Jesus said it is finished because he essentially he looked down the corridor of time mm -hmm. while he was on the cross and he saw the moment when the work he was doing was going to lead to the sins being sent away and then it was all finished. So he wasn't declaring that it was finished at that moment in time. He was essentially in vision prophesying looking at the future. Yeah. Yeah. In the present tense with his language, but he also exactly. was also Michael and not God. So totally. I, mean, I don't even know where to ask the next question. Like this is so admittedly, I actually don't remember this much aberrant theology from when I listened to the first podcast with you guys. Can I just ask, do you think she believed this or was she I was gonna uh, that too. a little bit nuts or um, <laughs> was, she just, was it a cash cow? Was it a demon demonic? What do you, uh, what do you think demonic. of her? Okay. Yeah. Personally, I believe she was demonic. I think all of the above. Mm -hmm. So yeah. she so she was perhaps having visions. Mm -hmm. Um oh, yes. were, okay. So she she so it wasn't just a convenience, like no, well, we need to change our teaching on polygamy now. So let's go, you know, <laughs> oh, not quite like that. No. Huh? But yeah. but some of that kind of stuff interestingly did happen. There's this one account of um, James White had gone away on a trip, and while he was gone, some men approached Ellen White and said, hey, we need money for our, it was a hospital in Battle Creek, 
and can you please write a letter to the churches? And in this letter, she wrote to these churches and said, I was shown, essentially she was shown by God that this was a worthy investment they needed to send their money in for this. Well, James gets back and he's upset with her because it wasn't his plan. He wanted to do it differently. And he says, you need to write to the churches and repent. So then she writes to the churches and she re she was shown that she needed to repent. So God shows her one thing one minute and then shows her another thing the next. And and there is a list of a lot of the, the doctrines of Adventism. They didn't actually come from her. They were presented to her. And sometimes the same night they were presented to her, she would have a vision mm -hmm. and in a sense acted. Uh, these are my words acted as a Holy Spirit. She sealed them. They, mm -hmm. they became theology because God showed her. She was the prophetic voice that that gave you know credibility to everything that basically the <clears throat> entrepreneurial men wanted to do james mm. being the primary entrepreneur and he was an entrepreneur he mm. was a businessman an entrepreneur um and he used ellen and there was a point at which he said he wrote her a letter and he said there is much money in our pens yet <laughs> oh my god so she but i but actually there were eyewitnesses who who witnessed her in their time looking at the stuff that she wrote looking at her own fears it's all um, i'm i am convinced that she was literally a channeler she channeled a spirit mm -hmm. well she and was a medium in a sense there's mm. there's evidence that we have inside and outside of adventism that when she would go into these visions she would stop breathing Mm -hmm. She would, they would not be able to move. Her body would become very rigid. They couldn't move her body. Um, they actually brag about a time when a doctor was present for one of her visions. He was, he doubted that they came from God. And when she went into vision, they asked him to examine her. And he said her heart beats, but she isn't breathing. He tried to run out of the church. They wouldn't let him. The elders blocked the door. I, sounds mm. kind of scary he to me. He was terrified. He was yeah. terrified. Uh -huh. But, um, and even James wrote in some of the, the letters and some of the articles that you can find online, he wrote that they were always being accused of being involved in this kind of fanaticism and. Yeah. How many, there, how, yeah, many you go. how many Adventists are there now? And how oh, do they, yeah. are they growing? Can you think, I'll tell you that. I Googled it. 22 million ish, 22 million on, and growing all over the world. Earth, all over the world. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like if you look in Houston, if you just type into your maps, mm. Adventist, there are so many churches in Houston, mm. like yeah. a lot. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was so fringe. Uh, do they no, grow it, by having children? Do they are they successful at evangelizing? They're huge. Yes. They proselytize. Oh. And they're okay. especially successful in Africa and South America right now. That's where it's growing by leaps and bounds. It seems to be actually dwindling in numbers in North America. But in Africa, and you know, here's the secret to their madness, if you want to call it that. They actually go into these underdeveloped nations, and they offer people the opportunity, in, and this is my words, to become middle class. Mm -hmm. They offer them education. They offer them jobs in their hospitals. The health message is the right arm of the gospel. They say Wait, that. what does they that mean? That, that mm -hmm. means that that is their primary method of proselytizing. We bring them better health 
better future, better lifestyle. We hook them in that way, and then they'll they'll love us and become Adventists, and they and do. It's a good system. I I would be it's tempted a good if system. I were in that position. Yeah. So it actually makes people middle class. It gives them an opportunity to be employed and to be professional, and often even to travel. You know, it's amazing yeah. how many people travel to Michigan to attend classes at the seminary there once they've become Adventists in Africa, wow. for example. So in terms of the generational Adventism, we can't forget the, the actual terrorizing that occurs from a young age related to the last day stuff. It exactly. is a last day religion. Yeah. It is. They believe they're the 144,000 of Revelation 14. They believe that their message is the remnant last day message. They're surprised we're all still here. They, let me they let me pause you for a second. You said they huh. believe that we, being like the Adventists, are the 144,000. That's a very small number when you think about all of history. So mm -hmm. what about all the Adventists that there's more than 144,000 Adventists? Well, that's a good the rest question. Yeah, it's a, it's a figurative number. And okay. Ellen herself couldn't exactly explain what it was. Okay. Just like they know right? they're not they're not from the 12,000 tribes or they're not 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, right? So if they can make that metaphorical, they can make the number, they, they can do whatever they want with it. Gotcha. Really? And is there a new yeah. date, by the way, a new doomsday date? Or are we just no. guessing? No. Okay. Mm -mm. okay. They just believe it's soon. <laughs> Which anniversary was it where they got reprimanded by the president? Of I think 175th anniversary of the organization where he said, we're still here. You know, is, and is that why they have the word Advent because of the yes, of yes. Christ? Okay. Seventh day Adventist. And they said that those two doctrines had been basically forgotten within Christianity, the second coming and the Sabbath. And God raised them up to bring these two doctrines back into the forefront of Christianity and to pull people out of Babylon and observe them with them. So I'm, whether it was at the time of Ellen White or now, I just, and maybe people would say this about other denominations too, so maybe I'm being unfair, but it just seems like there's so many just like discrepancies. I mean, I know you guys talked about this in, in the, um, when I heard you originally about even Ellen White, I mean, you just said the thing about she had a vision and then she had to recant that, you yeah. know, had another vision to sort of correct it. Or I guess there were things where she would like say that something ought to be a certain way, but then she got caught. What was it like eating? I don't know. Oysters behind a screen. Yeah. Oysters behind a screen. That's so bizarrely specific. Yeah, but she, she, <laughs> but she, she didn't actually change that, that no. doctrine. No. She, just, she just had to confess it. She just, she just broke it. Caught. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Well, so, and, and if, go ahead. Well, like, so I, oysters are wrong, I guess, because this is shellfish. So they didn't shellfish. either. Yeah. They the Levitical food laws. They observe the Levitical okay, food okay, laws. Okay. Mm -hmm. But why would butter, is butter off limits in the? Yeah. Okay, so this, this is a whole other garden path, but she believed <laughs> that eating animal products would incite in humans animal oh, passions. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to get really kind of perverted and twisted from there down that road. And she actually wrote that the characteristics of the animals that you ate would become your personal characteristics. I mean, in a way, I, I'll, I'll take some lion meat or something. It's like are, really aggressive. You are what you eat. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> exactly. You are okay, what you well, eat. So, so we've, in a smattering sort of way, we've, we've talked about some of the beliefs. We've talked about some of the practices. 
Uh, I'm going to, in a second, wrap us up and ask you a couple of questions, final questions. But if there's anything else you guys are like, oh, we never talked about such and such, jump in. Um, do they want to be seen as Christians? Do they claim to be Christians? Oh, yes. Okay. They do. They do. And and I think related to that, you know, you mentioned if there's anything else we think we should talk about, I think it's connected to that question. They don't believe in the Orthodox biblical trinity. They oh, believe yeah. they do. Right. They will say they are, especially the younger ones, but they don't understand. That's, the, that's what's so sad about this is that I think a lot of them really want to be Christian. They mm -hmm. just don't know what what they've been fed and what they believe and how different it is from biblical Christianity. Yeah. So yeah. they they'll say they're Christian. They want to be seen as Christian, but they don't believe in the triune God of Scripture. They yeah. believe in three beings. Okay. Well, actually, let me let's let's hone in on that for a second. So we know they think that Christ is Michael. So he's kind of an angel. He's not necessarily God. But he's going to do a lot of stuff for us with the investigative judgment. They will say he's God. They'll they say, he's, say God. he's God. They will say he's God. They'll oh. say he's all God. But here's the thing that that straightened that out for me finally was right. I I mean if I have a third of a pie, it's all pie. Yeah. I had no idea that to be all God means you have all the attributes of God in the in that person. Okay. You know, so I had no idea that for example, the attribute of omnipresence belonged to Jesus because I was taught he didn't have it anymore because he took a body and that the Holy Spirit had to be sent because Jesus could no longer be everywhere. Well, that makes Jesus not God. Okay. Okay. But I didn't understand that. I thought he was still all God. He just wasn't. He, I mean, you know, I can't be, I can be human, I can be a woman, and, and I can be like Nikki in that sense, but I don't have all her attributes. So, you know, I didn't understand that the Trinity literally shared substance, and Adventists refuse to teach that the Trinity shares substance. So they have a fallible Jesus who gave up on the presence, who really didn't know what people were thinking. Could have sinned, could have failed. Risked okay. God. God risked throwing the entire cosmos into chaos forever by risking sending Jesus because oh, he could have failed. Well, he was yeah, worried about the cred with the other universes. Totally. Right? So. <laughs> yes, yes totally. exactly. And and you have them not having a shared will all the way back to creation. Yes, their pre-creation history okay. because Jesus had to argue with God to let him come and save us. He went before him three different times, according to Ellen White. How Trinitarian. Asking him. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and they are described as three beings on the Adventist website. You have to dig yeah. a little, but it's there. And they're they're likened to a team, like coaches for a soccer team. They all want you to win, and they're cheering you on, and they have a different role in helping you get saved. And so let, let's talk about the spirit then. Um, do they think that the spirit, what, what does the spirit do? He's certainly not interceding for you when you can't remember your sins right like what is he doing no it, it kind of depends on who you're talking to it does the, it's vague the arian adventists that that i know uh, my father-in-law no longer he doesn't believe in a trinity and he will openly teach against the trinity they say that the holy spirit is the spirit of christ that when jesus went to heaven god sent this spirit of christ to come to earth. But I thought they didn't so, believe that we had anything immaterial. Well, God does. Yeah, no, okay. I don't. God does. Okay. It breaks down. <laughs> it 
It yeah. definitely breaks down. And the, the whole idea of being sealed with the Holy Spirit, they don't really teach that, although they know it. I knew those words. But there was no concept of my own spirit needing to be made alive. So being sealed mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit really was just a metaphor. It was just a metaphor yeah. to say, God's on, like, like Nikki suggested from the website of the Adventist, God's on your team. He's rooting for you. The Holy Spirit's there to help you. If you need help, you just lean on him and he'll help you make the right decision. Okay. Gotcha. And they do teach that he will, it, when you sin, you can grieve him away. And what they mean by grieving him away is not what is meant in scripture. Scripture doesn't say grieve away. It says, do not right. grieve the Holy Spirit. Right. They right. say grieve away. So mm -hmm. if you sin, he leaves. And, and so my understanding of God's love for me was if if I was sinning, he was gone and he wasn't going to come back and he wasn't going to take so care of me. I had to repent first. Oh, yeah. We were I my generation was taught if anybody dares to go to a movie theater, for example, or a bowling alley or, a, you know, you name it, your angel, your guardian angel will stay outside the doors until you come back. And if there's a fire or something too bad for you, you're sinning and you are lost. Because you you went somewhere where the that just angel opened up like fifteen you. more questions, but okay. So every does everyone have one? Is it a one to one ratio? Yes, guardian angel. Mm -hmm. The guardian angel. And the guardian yeah. angel is different from the Holy Spirit. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, and they'll they'll pray a lot of times. They'll pray for angels. They'll pray for mm -hmm. angels to protect to, you know, send angels with them as they travel. Surround oh, yeah. the plane with angels. They're they're always praying send for angels. angels. I remember. Wings. I remember when our our pastor that we have now early on when I first left, he said, "Why why do people pray for angels and hedges when you have God in you? <laughs> mm. You have God that was in revolutionary. you." Revolutionary. Just yeah. like I was oh, going to ask, goodness. do they believe the Holy Spirit indwells believers? Comes and goes. Yeah, comes well, yeah, and goes. Yeah, them away. I guess grieve them Sorry. away. Yeah, okay. comes and goes. Well, no real effectual so power, but. Goodness. Okay. Well, so here come the questions I had warned you about beforehand. I'm going to ask you each. Two questions. Do you think, I mean, I think I know how you're going to answer both, but <laughs> do you think Seventh-day Adventism is heretical and do you think it's a cult? You mean Nikki, do you want to, uh, Colleen started okay. us off before, so do you want sure. to start us off? Yeah. Um, I do believe that it's heretical. I do believe that it's a cult and I believe that it's uh, worse than that because I believe it's a counterfeit. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see. It yeah. looks like Christianity. It presents yeah. like Christianity. And here's the thing. I, I hear us talking and I, I think of what how I would have responded in my 20s to what we're saying. Mm -hmm. I would have been very upset. I would, I would have, have said, too. you're distilling it down. You're, that's not really what mm -hmm. I think. That's not what yeah. I believe. I'm not in a cult. And it breaks my heart because I know now looking back that in my 20s, I didn't know Christian doctrine. Right. Thought I did. I thought I just had more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't know wow. Christian doctrine. I didn't know it was different. And so, yes, I say it, and I know it's hard to hear, but someone has to tell them the building's on fire. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Colleen, what about you? I believe it's heretical. I believe it's a cult. And, um, you know, I have to say it was this, this year at our former Adventist conference where we heard Paul Carden from the Centers for Apologetics Research. He gave a talk for um, one of our meetings, and he's the one that said he mm -hmm. believes it is a dangerous, heretical counterfeit. And mm -hmm. I thought that is a brilliant description of it. Now, yeah. Paul Carden says this from experience. He 
operates a ministry that has a huge presence of guarding the gospel and taking the gospel into unchristians and into unchristian um, cultures. Mm -hmm. And he has a huge presence in Africa. Okay. Where he says that the Adventists literally follow the Christian missionaries who hmm. do door-to-door -door evangelism and say, That's okay, gross. you've heard them. Now here, here's the rest of it. Here's the Sabbath. Ah, wow. And pull. You've heard they it proselytize. Said. That, yeah, that, that's exactly what happened in Galatians, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Move in. So, yep, that's exactly that's why Galatians is so profound when Adventists finally see it. So, yes, I believe it's a counterfeit. I believe it's a cult. I believe it's dangerous. And I, like Nikki, would have been very upset with me listening yeah. to me before yeah. I left because I would say, no, that's not how I see it. But that is actually how it is. Yeah. I was confused. I had cognitive dissonance. I was trying to make it all fit, but when I understood the gospel, my goodness, I cannot tell you, when I realized that, number one, I was depraved, that I had no ability to seek God, find him, or please him, that was a shock to me. I didn't know the Bible taught that. Yeah. Then, when I understood that Jesus literally took our sin, imputed, like he took our imputed sin into himself. That was such a new thought to me. And that he suffered the wrath of God before he died as he hung on the cross. That overwhelmed me. And that he literally died and that his resurrection was not just because I'm God and I can do that, which is how I thought of it, hmm. but that he rose because he paid the price for sin. Oh, and that literally go. broke the curse. That was overwhelming to me. I did not know that as an Adventist. Colin, and you're that's making why me tear we up over this. here. This is really good. <laughs> but that's why we do this. Yeah. We would have no business doing this if Adventism were just an off branch of Christianity. Sure. sure. Wow. Goodness. They don't okay. know the gospel. They don't know it. Um, Let's just say that someone is listening to this whenever it does come out and, um, they have an uncle that's an Adventist or they themselves maybe have gone to an Adventist church or whatever, and they want to pick your brain a little bit more or ask you some questions or maybe yell at you for things you said they didn't like. <laughs> Where can people find you? How can people connect with you? Are you open to that? Oh, yes, absolutely. I knew that was the answer. So that's why I asked it that way. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. Because, you know, one of the criticisms people will hurl is they didn't back up anything they said. And that's hard to do in an hour. We yeah. will give any resources anybody wants to back up any claim they've heard us say on this show yeah. or any show. Yeah, we're not inventing this. Yeah. So <laughs> they would write to formeradventist at gmail.com. They can get other material. Adventist or Adventist? Singular. singular, 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 former, former Adventist. Adventist at Gmail. Okay. They can visit proclamationmagazine.com and sign up for weekly emails where we have a lot of people who are writing every week, really thoughtful articles um, that okay. are helpful to those who are transitioning out or who want to know what Adventism is. Um, and yeah. I would encourage you to go to trutherfables.com. Is it com or org? Com. Dot com. Dot com. There's a lot of material there um, exposing the errors yeah. of Ellen White and her vision. And it's important that you get the .com because the Adventists have started at trutherfables.org. Ooh, scandal. Okay. It's typical though. It's typical. No, I know that even the NAR movement started doing their own like counter videos. We're not crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, let me just say you guys are a delight. My goodness, this has been, and, and we really covered a lot in a roughly an hour. I'm kind of proud of us. Well, I'm proud of y'all. I did no work. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you so oh, much yeah, for you doing did. this. This was You're eye-opening welcome. and fascinating and also kind of heartbreaking, but but it was good. So thank you for joining us. And uh, Thanks if for you're having listening us. and you want to come to any of our events or maybe give us a topic that you want to hear a podcast about or anything, you can find our contact information at houstontot.com, also.com. But no one has tried to undo us on the other one. So, um, <laughs> but until we meet again or you hear us over the, the sound waves again, we encourage you as always to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.